How are we? Are we good? Judges. The Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then Judges. Chapter 6. And we have the story of a guy called Gideon. And uh, Israel at this time is in a little bit of trouble. Israel's in trouble at this time because they have done the wrong thing by God and they've stepped away from his way of doing things. And who knows that when you step away from God's way of doing things, you get yourself in trouble. Because when you step away from doing God's way of doing things, you start to do things your way and you start to get into the flesh and you start to take out God working for you. And then the enemy rises up and you don't have any power and authority because you're not put in the word, you're not full of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Israel's like. They've stepped away from God's way of doing things. And so the Midianites and everyone else around them is coming in and they would come and raid and the Israelites would plant some crops and the Midianites would come in and they'd come and steal the crops or they'd burn the crops and they'd steal their sheep and their cattle and and so this whole situation is going on to the point where Gideon, he's got a little bit of wheat and he's threshing the wheat to try and get the grain out of it and he's doing it in a wine press. Now the thing about threshing grain is what they do is they used to get it and they'd throw it up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away and the heavier seeds would fall down. Now if you know anything about a wine press, a wine press is like it's usually got this high wall around it to hold all the wine in and they'd, you know, squat, get in and squash all the grapes and so on. So there's not a lot of airflow through a wine press. So he's trying to hide from the Midianites threshing his wheat. So it's a bit of a lost cause in some ways. It's not a, a lot of hard work to do this because not a lot of wind blowing through a wine press to blow away the chaff. But this situation he's in. And in verse 10... And it says, also I said to you, I am the Lord your God, do not fear. Here's a visitation from an angel coming up. It says, I am the Lord your God, do not fear the gods, the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. In other words, Israel hasn't obeyed my voice, that's why they're in this situation. There's a good lesson in that. If you don't do things, if you don't obey what God says, you find yourself in a difficult situation. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abrazite, with his son, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Don't you love the way that God speaks things that aren't as though they are? Because you find out what Gideon thinks of himself in a minute. And Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all these miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So the angel saying to Gideon, Hey man, you got it happening. God's all over you. You're a mighty man of God. Go and save your people. And Gideonite, full of faith, said to him, verse 15, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Lord said to him, 
Surely I'll be with you. You shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Gideon was a nobody. He was insignificant in his world. He was the least of his family. And in Gideon's time, ranking was everything. Your position in the family was everything, and he was the bottom of the rung. Not only that, but his family was from a clan that was on the wrong side of the tracks or in the down-and-out part of town. So not only is he the least in his family, his family is also in the place that nobody wants to be at. But on top of that, the town he's in is in the wrong part of the country. So he's in the down-and-out part of the country, in the down-and-out part of the town in their country, in the wrong street in their country, in the wrong house in their country, and he's the worst person in the whole house. He's the lowest on the rank. He is right at the bottom. He was such a nobody that he was out threshing wheat by himself, a task usually done with a whole lot of other people. I mean, there's not even someone out there being his watchman on, sitting on the side of the wine press going, hey, the midnights are coming, let's go and hide. He's out there by himself. He can't even influence anyone to come and help him. But this story is not about Gideon and what he can do. It's about God. Because God takes Gideon and gets him to put together an army. And then he whittles that army all the way back to Gideon and 300 men. And there's 300 men, they go out there and they attack the enemy, but not with a whole lot of swords. They go and attack the enemy with a bunch of horns and torches. Now, can you imagine that? Someone says to you, okay, we're going to go and take on the army in Syria today. And we're going to go stand around where their base is, all fortified, guards everywhere, and you get to take your flashlight And by the way, here's a kazoo. (laughs) And what we're going to do is we're going to stand around that base. We're going to blow our kazoos. We're going to turn on our lights and God's going to win. Anyone signing up for that? (laughs) Training, you don't need training. You see, don't blow your kazoo. Just blow it. It makes a noise. And you turn a torch on, don't you? But that's what God did. Because you see, it was never about Gideon. It was never about the people with him. It was about what God could do. And as I was reading through this, God was saying to me, we too often think in terms of natural rather than supernatural. We think in terms of what our body and what our minds can handle, not what our God can handle. And we let what we think and the way that we think determine how life is going to work for us. So why did God choose Gideon? God chose Gideon because he was from the wrong part of the country. He chose Gideon because he was in the wrong town. 
He chose Gideon because he was born on the wrong side of the tracks. He chose Gideon because he was the least, because God likes to look good. Do you know that? He says, I won't share my glory with anybody else. And our problem is that we think we've got to be this or that or the other. We have to have achieved something for God to use us. But God never said that. He said, I will fight for you. I will bring the victory. All you have to do is be obedient and do what I tell you. You don't have to be that brave about it because Gideon wasn't that brave. I mean, he's here face to face with this angel and after the angel says that, you know the first thing he says? Uh, Let me just make sure. And so he does the whole fleece thing. Now, I want to encourage you, don't start doing fleeces because as Kenneth Hagin says, you will get fleeced. All right, that was a Gideon one-off. You have Holy Spirit. He tells you down in here whether you're right or not. He tells you down in here. You've got to learn to listen to your spirit. You try and do fleeces, you get open room for the devil to start fleecing you. Don't go down that path. That's not today's sermon. That's a whole other one. But he wasn't sure, so he tries this fleece. And then when they finally get to the time of going into battle and he's got this strategy and God's given a revelation, he's still afraid. And so God says to him, okay, creep up to the camp. So he creeps up to the camp with a couple of other guys and they stand sitting outside the tent of the enemy and they listen to this conversation. And this guy is telling you about a dream where, you know, this big block rolls through and they all get wiped out. And it encourages him because God's speaking. You see, you don't have to be feeling like, oh, yes, absolutely, let's go and do it. Let's just get out there and be full of, you know, no fear. That's not how God works. God takes you where you're at and takes you forward. The difference is you have to be willing. But there's something in the Bible that says, you know, that many are called, but few are chosen. I remember meditating on that a while ago and going, God, why is that? that? What do you mean many are called but few are chosen? He's not talking about, I mean, one of the things he's talking about is into heaven. Everybody's called, but not everybody gets chosen. Why not? Because they don't choose to accept Jesus. But you know what? God calls many people to do his work. But only a few get chosen because only a few are prepared to pay the price to do what God asks. You know, you want another example on top of Gideon, there's David. I mean, here's a guy who, he's given the job that nobody in the family wants. And that's being out by himself with the sheep. Something they often gave to servants to do, to go and do the, hey, you can take the far paddock, Middle of the night shift, it's all yours. That's what they gave to David. I mean, David was so insignificant in his family that when they had a pot of barbecue, they didn't even invite him. They forgot about him. And so he's out there looking after the sheep while his brothers, you know, they're at the gym pumping weights and making themselves look good for the ladies. Because when Samuel comes and, and comes to choose, and, and God's saying, I want to choose a new king, He's looking at these guys and he says, wow, look at them. You know, they're big, strong. They've been working out in the gym. They're, they're looking pretty, you know, wow, wow, wow. And God says, no, it's not about what's on the outside. It's on the inside. 
You see, David had a choice when he's out there in the field. He can either go, well, nobody cares about me. What does it matter? I'll just let the sheep do whatever they want. Oh, there's a bear. Yeah, take a sheep. That's all right. I don't have to worry about you then. There's one less sheep to take care of, eh? There's a lion. You want another one? Here's a couple. Feed your cubs, you know. It's all good. And come back to dad. Oh, well, you know, lion and bear came. All the sheep are gone. I guess I haven't got anything to do now. Cool, I can go and play video games, you know. But that wasn't his attitude. His attitude was, well, I've been given this much. You know what? I'm going to make the best of my situation. And he learned to hang out, hang out with God. He said, I've got all this free time. Cool, I can hang out with God. And so he did. And he used the time he was at. And it got me thinking as I was sitting there this morning and, and God started to speak to me. And, and he took me back to a time when um, we were, Dale and I were looking at going to Bible college and, and you know, starting to think about, we're really sure what we're thinking about after that. It's just God was telling us that we need to go to Bible college and so on. And this guy walked up to me, he was around my age, and there was a group of guys who were all about the same age. And he said to me, oh, so you're giving it a go? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, you know, I tried to get into ministry and, you know, it didn't really work out for me. And there's a couple of others who have tried it and it hasn't really worked out for them. And, you know, there's one guy that's made it, but, you know, all the others, they haven't made it into ministry. And I thought that's an interesting view of ministry in the first place, you know, that it's a, it's a job rather than a lifestyle. Because wherever you are, you're a minister of the gospel. Wherever you are, God's called you to be his minister. But it got, as I was reflecting on this, I'm thinking, God, why am I thinking about this? And he says, he said, do you find it interesting that, because what they all wanted to do was they all wanted to, to be employed as ministers. That was the, the goal. I don't know if it was a culture thing. It was just the goal of the time. That, you know, the highest thing you could do was to be a minister on salary. And these guys hadn't made it. And I thought, God, why were Dale and I chosen? You know, we were employed as associates in that church. No one else was. There was a whole lot of other people more talented, brighter and more intelligent than what we were. I thought, why did we, in the eyes of this guy, make it? Why did we become ministers of your gospel on salary, as a job? What was the difference? And God says, because I saw you when nobody else did. And I thought about this, and for 14 years we did youth work in that church just week in, week out. Nobody saw us. In fact, we often got criticised because, you know, we'd mess up the hall or we'd, you know, break a few lights or um, overspend the budget or whatever it was that we were doing. We used to get in trouble a lot. I got in trouble a lot. <laughs> we were too noisy, you know. We were lots of things. We were young. But for 14 years, you know, I started with, with, you know, kids who were sort of in primary school and then I guess as I got, I was, I was only like in year nine at high school at the time, but that's when I started doing it. Every Friday night. Sometimes it was whole weekends. And then there came a time where, you know, I left school and I got a job and I remember thinking, you know, I was in Kalgoorlie at the time and what you did was you got into mining or you got into those sort of areas and you would make good money at that time. 
And I made a choice because I was working at the bank and I made a choice to stay at the bank because it left my Friday nights and my weekends free so that we could do youth work. And that was the basis for our choice. And so we did. And there was a financial sacrifice involved with that because it meant I was making probably about a third of the salary we could have been making. And that caused a whole lot of other complications when it came to housing affordability and things like that. But we made that choice because we wanted to do what God asked us to do, one thing else. And so we did that week in, week out with these young guys. And, you know, and you spend a lot of time and, you know, having to defend the indefensible when it comes to youth work and being the one responsible and taking the blame and, and through all that, and it was just weekend. And then we, did, we actually started doing kids' ministry. So kids' church on a Sunday morning, not like on a roster once every month. It was like week in, week out for a whole year. And so we did that. And then we started having youth meetings in our house because things weren't working out, using the church hall and so on, so we are having it in our house. And, you know, we bought a house in the wrong part of town because we wanted to start to minister into that area. And that cost us. When we bought our house, there were actually friends of ours who would not come and visit us because they were afraid their car would get messed up. They were too afraid to come and visit us. You'd invite them for dinner and they would refuse. There was a cost involved. And they would come and we'd get holes in our walls. You know, not we double brick houses there. It was all single brick and we'd have holes in our walls and dishes would be broken and, you know, we, we'd go through lounges quite a lot. For those of you sitting in the lounge probably know what I'm meaning because a couple of them are starting to collapse now. Because they get above normal use. Yeah, our lounges take a beating. Our furniture took a beating. And there was no magic fund to pay for that. We had to pay for that. You know, they'd come and they'd eat. And we'd have young people coming and visiting us. Almost, it was almost a 24-hour cycle, wasn't it? That someone even come and live with us. Or they'd come and stay the night and sleep on couches and, and things like this. And they used to all ride these mopeds so we knew they were coming. Because actually to get into our house, you had to sort of, because they'd sort of built the house backwards. It was some brilliant student's idea was to build this whole subdivision where all the houses didn't face the street. They faced the, the, this like pathway in between all the houses to try and build community. And the result of that was it actually became a really great way to rob houses and to escape because they could run down these pathways and the police couldn't get them because the cars couldn't get in there. So then they decided to close off all these laneways and so you had these houses all facing the wrong way with these massive blocks. And so they'd ride their mopeds up the side of a house and you hear them riding up there to put their parking out the back and then they'd come in the house. And if we actually wanted some alone time, we just had to sit really quietly and not answer the door. Seriously, that's what it became. Because that was part of the sacrifice. And God said, I saw you. When you did your youth work, I saw you when you paid the price. I saw you when you went, you know what? It's just a house. It doesn't matter. It's just a lounge. And people would come into our house 
and they would look at our furniture and they would look at our house and they would screw up their nose. We had the ceiling was peeling. We're having there having soup one day with some friends and the paint fell off the roof into the soup bowls. And that was after we'd painted it and fixed it because there was something wrong with it. And yet it wasn't glamorous and people would turn their noses up and go, ah. Oh. And you know what? We had to go, too bad. Because by doing that, we were being obedient to what, called, what God had called us to do and we got the job, so to speak. Because we're prepared to pay the price. And I'm going, when God looks at you, when God looks at us, he says, are you prepared to pay the price? You see, we, we bought this house not because it was a beautiful house. In fact, when we bought this house, I thought it was the ugliest thing I'd seen in a long time. I remember saying that. Sitting down with somebody and they're going, oh, you found a house? I said, yeah, but it's really ugly. When we had to rip the whole garden out, we didn't like it so much. Yeah, that wasn't fun. But we bought it because it let us do what we need to do for God. We bought it because it's got this big space here. We bought it because we could hold meetings in it. We bought it because we could use it for ministry. Not because, I mean, it suits us as a family as well, but there's a lot of things about it that don't. And there's a lot of things that we can't do in the house that we'd like to do as a family because we need the space to do what God has called us to do. And as I was thinking through all these things, and God's bringing up all this stuff, look, I'm not here trying to toot my horn and make myself sound great. We made a lot of mistakes through that time as well. You know, we messed it up a lot. But God doesn't ask you to be perfect. What he wants to know is, are you surrendered? And as we talk about stepping into the supernatural and stepping into what God has for us and going forward, I really sense that some of the blockages that we have is because we're too busy holding on to what this world says is success, to what the world says is important, that we're concerned about our houses, we're concerned about our cars, we're concerned about our reputation, we're concerned about ourselves, and it's these things that stop us stepping into what God has for us. And as long as you hold on to that, you cannot hold on to what God has for you. You know, I hear people so often going, I don't know what my purpose is. You know what my response to that is now? Just get off your butt and do something. Just get off your butt and do something. I was a worship leader in that church. I can't even sing. My singing is not that good. And they made me the worship director. You know why? Because I was there. Because I was willing to pay the price. They used to have services start at 9 o'clock. We would get to church at 7.30 in the morning and often not leave until after 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And then we'd go back at 5 o'clock for a prayer meeting and then often leave church at 10 o'clock at night. And this was often after a Saturday night where we'd have youth in our house from 6 o'clock to 2 in the morning. And there was no salary with that. There was no income. In fact, it cost us to feed them, to put our house back together, 
And with it came the criticism. I mean, we always had the support of our senior pastor and he's, you know, I was respected to this day, but there were people in the church who used to complain about things, about how we did things, or about this and the other. But that's what it took. You know, for years I was the sound mixer in the church. You're one of the most unglorified positions, that one there, because no one knows you until you make a mistake. And then everybody knows you. But that often meant that we would be down there on a Saturday for three or four hours rewiring things and putting things together. And nobody sees it. And that's why we got the job 15 years later. But you know what? Because God sees your heart. And like Gideon, God saw his heart that he was prepared to be out there and thresh the weed to do what he could do when nobody else was willing to be out there. That David was willing to take care of the sheep and hang out in God's presence when nobody else was willing to be out there. God is not looking for superstars. He's looking for surrender. He's looking for people who can look at what they have and go, you know what? This is not mine. This is about you. I mean, Dale and I are thinking about, hey, look, we'd like to actually relocate. We'd like to move. But you know what? We have to think in context of what we do. And the biggest challenge we have when we look at anything like that is how can we keep doing what God has called us to do and step into what he has for us? And that starts to put limits on you. And I see people time after time after time who are hugely talented, who are hugely gifted, who have a calling on their life and they never ever step into what God has for them because they're not willing to pay the price. They're not willing to let go of what they have. They're not willing to use what they already have. And I really sense that God is saying, if you really want my presence, you have to start letting go of the flesh. If you really want to step into the supernatural, you have to start letting go of the natural. Stop trying to work out what's God doing for me, what's ahead of me, what does he have for me, and start doing what he already has asked you to do. And if you don't know what to do, then come and ask us and we'll find you something to do. Because there's always something to do. But see, we're not prepared, you know. We're prepared to turn up on time. See, when, you, when we come together, you should be, if you want to be used by God, then it starts right now of going, you know what? When I rock up on a Sunday morning, I'm rocking up to make a difference in somebody else's life. But I find too many people rocked up to church. And, you know, when I go back to that time where we're in with this group of people, a whole lot of guys and girls who wanted to be in ministry. But at 9 o'clock service, where were they? They weren't there. They were there at quarter past, 20 past 9, wandering in. Whereas we were there at 7.30 doing what nobody else saw us do. That we were praying into the place. We were setting things up. We were doing the work. You see, when you come together in church, in connect group, in prayer meeting, wherever it is, you're there saying, what can I do to make a difference? Not what can I get out of this? Because when you go in to go, what can I do to make a difference? You know what happens? You suddenly start to receive. Because that's how God's kingdom works. As you give, you receive. It's not as you receive, you give. It's as you give. You get salvation by giving yourself to God. That's how you receive salvation. 
by humbling yourself and giving over yourself to God. You see, God's actually already given everything you need. The problem is in the receiving. Because you have to give to receive. Do you know that? That's how God's kingdom works. David gave of himself out there to his family and to his father. And so he was able to receive the promotion that God had for him. Gideon gave of himself by being the guy willing to go and thresh wheat by himself to take care of his family. And God saw him and he was able to receive what God had for him. We gave. I'm not tooting my own horn. I want you to, like Paul says, let me be an example. We gave of ourselves when nobody saw except God, and so we were able to receive what he had for us. And I'm saying to you now, if you want God to use you, you have to start giving what you have. You have to start stepping into what is uncomfortable rather than doing what you've always done. Because what you've always done has got you to where you are now. And if you don't like where you are, then maybe it's time to change. Because you see, it has to change your thinking. See, we never did it because we wanted promotion. We never did it because we wanted a job. We did it because we love God. And we made a decision that whatever we have is His. And that starts with us. And that starts with us. And I can sit back now, what, 25 odd years in ministry? And I can look back and see kids out there who are now leading churches, who are now involved in ministries, who are out there making a massive difference. And I can feel good about that. We're not finished yet, obviously. But I can, I can look at that and then go, I can see what God did because of those hours that we would spend dealing with a bunch of young people. Sticking our neck out for people because God said, I want you to do this. Spending countless hours sitting on a couch, listening to them go on and on and on and on. Dealing with 13-year-old girls. Man, can't say, no, I'm not going to say anything about that. But we paid the price. I mean, I did a camp, we were doing camp for six days and worked out I slept four hours over the whole six days. Because we head off that it was... I mean, just before we went on camp, let me finish with this, but just before we went on camp, <clears throat> we had this bus lined up and the people pulled the bus off us and said, no, you can't have it anymore. So I'm going, great. So we had to scrounge cars. So we're driving these four cars packed down to camp. We get down there and I had this, this lady who said, look, I'll come and cook for you. I said, fantastic. Um, she left after the first day. I said, oh, no, I've got, she got to Perth and went, oh, I'm actually going to go see some friends and shot through. So I went, fantastic. So we had this other guy there. He says, let me do it. I said, no worries. He spent the entire budget on the second day. So I'm going, okay, I've got no bus. I've got no money. We've got no food. And I've got teenagers in the middle of northern. So I had to humble myself and ring back to the church and get some more cash out of them. So we can go and buy some food, which means I got in trouble with the treasurer big time when I got back because we'd overspent our budget. Had to try and do all the cooking ourselves while running a camp with short-staffed with these leaders, with these, with these teenagers. But God sees that. 
You know what I mean? And some of those guys are now ministers of his gospel. Because God does stuff like that. I want to say to you, it's not about what you've got. It's about what you do with what you've got. Are you faithful? Do you come here thinking, I want to get to church early so I can make a difference and minister? I want to be at the prayer meeting because I want to intercede for my church. I want to intercede for my city. I want to make a difference. When I get up every day, God is my first priority. I'm in the Word. I'm in prayer. When I end my day, I end it with God. I end it with what He has. It's not about what I want to do. What do you want me to do, God? What can I do today to make a difference? Sometimes it's just a small thing. But He wants to know, do you use what you have? See, too often we look and go, I can't do this, I can't do that because I don't have. But what do you have? What do you have? Because if you're not using what you do have... If you're not faithful in what you are doing, if you're not able to get yourself organized and in here and looking to minister when you come in on a Sunday, how can God use you any other time? Because you're not even using what he's already given you. Why would he give you more? You know, if you saw some guy on the street with nothing and you gave him $100 and you saw him walk into the, into the pub and walk out with a great big, you know, a few bottles of bourbon and so on, are you going to go give that guy some more money? But if you saw him walk into a supermarket and he bought $100 worth of groceries and started giving out to other poor people, what are you going to do with that? I don't know about you, but I'm going to go and join in and say, well, here's, I gave you the first 100 here's another 200 Let's go and make a real difference. God's the same. He says, I've given you what you've got. What are you doing with it? You've got somewhere to live. What are you doing with it? You've got something to drive. What are you doing with it? You're part of a church. What are you doing there? What are you doing with what you already have rather than looking at what you don't have? You want to know what God has for you? Just start using what he has. And then you'll discover what his plan is. He took Gideon. He took David from nowhere and made them leaders of their nation that broke the oppressors. He took Joseph from prison. See, God always sees because he sees your motivation in your heart. Are you really surrendered? This is just dealing with the natural stuff. Luke says if we can't handle what is given us in the natural, how can we handle what we have in the supernatural? How can we handle the true riches of his kingdom if we can't even handle what he's already given us? You want the supernatural You want to step into what God has for you? It starts with what you've already got. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a magnificent God, that you have given us true riches. Father, show us what we have. Show us how we can use what we have for your glory. Help us to not hold on to the things you've given us so tightly. But to let go and to truly surrender. That you are glorified through our lives. Father, let your word sink deep within our hearts in good soil. Let it bear fruit for your glory. 
And Lord, we bless this food we're about to eat in Jesus' name. Amen.